Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. They changed the door numbers in the last six years. Oh, I don't remember. 16, 15, 16. Uh, isn't that door one? Door one is right there. So and doesn't it go this way? Yes. Yes. So wouldn't it be like door number five or door number three or four? That's thirteen. Because the door right next to it's twelve. Really? Yeah, I know that. Twelve is the playground. No, twelve is this one right here. Because when I tell my kids one, I like to go to door five. It is door five. At our church, we have the north door and the south door because we only have two doors. We do have doors in the back, but we don't. No. Nobody ever uses them. There's no like paved way to get back there. Said, it's well, all. We have the gum sorry. <laughs> The, the gum sorry? Gym door? Is that the plan? <laughs> what, your, what door is the gum sorry? <laughs> well, shall, shall we pray? And then uh, maybe study the Bible today. As opposed to last time. I mean, we talked about Jesus stuff, but... Father, we thank you for this morning. It's beautiful outside. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we open up your word today. And I pray that you would open up our hearts, most of all. Lord, that we would be prepared to hear your what you have to say to us. That we would be um, receptive to your word as it goes forward. And that it would be planted within us to transform us the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Woo! Yay! My favorite chapter. Really? Can you name one verse that's in it? Sorry. I'm going to hit you with that. Ow. That fan t-shirt. Prove it. Sorry. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to be mean, but... It was really funny. No. Okay, so, 1 Timothy, let's read verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach... Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, 
keeping his children submissive. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. So if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. The wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. Well, we'll stop right there because that's probably as far as we'll get. So we're talking about the qualifications for leadership in the church. That's our conversation today because that's what Paul is talking to Timothy about. He's laying out. These are the kinds of people that you want to have as leaders in the church. This is an interesting conversation because we are in the midst of doing, at our church, in January will be the first time we've ever voted on board members. Prior to this, it's all, they've been appointed by the board, and I don't like that, but it's taken me six years to get it changed. So, but it's changed, and we're going to be voting on board members for the first time. Um, and so the, the conversation around, you know, of, of okay, who, who gets put up for nomination? Um, it's an interesting conversation. And this, is a helpful, this is a helpful verse for that. But he starts off by saying, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So I don't know if you remember, it's been a couple weeks, but we ended the last chapter with instructions about why women should not be given a place of leadership based solely upon being women. Remember we talked about women in leadership, and we talked about how the culture of the city of Ephesus would elevate women over men almost always, especially in spiritual manners, matters. And it seems that the ladies of Ephesus were, were um, assuming that they would have the same kind of leadership just without, right out of the gate without having to be discipled or going through any kind of preparatory uh, stuff. And that it would be women and not men. And Paul d deals with that. So now Paul goes on to say, so since I said that about, you know, now let's talk about what, it, what a leader in the church ought to look like. Does that make sense? So it's the next thought. Um, this is a trustworthy saying. Paul was giving Timothy ideas to go back to over and over. Have you guys ever seen the movie Lady and the Tramp? It just reminds me of, as my old grandpappy, old reliable used to say, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, it's, Paul was giving Timothy things that, you know, sayings, and he does this a couple times. This is a trustworthy saying. This is the truth. Jesus did the same thing, but he usually marked it by saying things like verily verily I say unto you or uh, this is the truth and then he would say things that he wanted people to remember phrases that he wanted passed down it wasn't just supposed to end with you you were supposed to carry it 
from this point forward and make this an important idea. And he says, to, to desire to be a leader in the church is noble. It's noble. It is something we should want to be. There's nothing wrong with desiring to be a leader in the church. Leadership is a noble task. That doesn't mean that everybody should aspire to it. Not everyone should be a leader in the church. I feel like, I feel like, we say the opposite in our churches. What do you think about that? I think in our churches, we're constantly telling people they should be leaders. And I don't think everybody should be a leader. Do you agree with that? Talk to me. What do you think? What have you heard? Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't hear that one preached very often, though. I wish it were preached far more often. People teach me that. Well, yeah, because you aspire to be a leader, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm saying, why would you, I guess, teach that to somebody who isn't in that role? I would say it should be taught as a uh, way of keeping people that don't want to take leadership seriously out of, oh, I agree of with that. pursuing for, leadership. For sure. I do think that maybe like because when I first hear you say not everyone should be leaders well I mean I think we're all called to lead in some capacity like but I don't think that everyone should be leaders of the church absolutely not I think that we throw that around very loosely and do not all understand the severity of leadership and things that are okay for even other Christians to do might not be okay for you to do in church leadership. That's the truth. And it gets really messy when people in church leadership do not understand the weight of what they're agreeing Amen. Yeah. And we are seeing it everywhere, yeah. are we not? But that doesn't mean like like if you're a wife or a husband, like you have leadership in your family or whatever. So like I think that everybody in some way has leadership capacities, but speaking on leadership in the church I absolutely do not think that everyone should be puffed up to be a leader. Do you think, I, I heard once that our current educational system is uh, built very well if, if what you're wanting to create are college professors. What I mean by that is you're learning the things you learn, not because they have practical use for you, but because it is part of a body of knowledge that we think all people should inherit, and not because of the things that you are choosing to pursue in life. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so if you continually succeed in the educational system as it exists now, you know, kind of the pinnacle of that would be you become a college professor. Well, I think the church has the same problem. I think, at least when I was a kid, uh, you weren't necessarily, you know, you kind of felt like a failure as a Christian if you didn't end up in full-time ministry in some way. Do you disagree with that statement or agree? Sure, okay. I don't think I would have felt like a failure. But I'm I glad. That culture is possible, but I don't think I experienced that culture. 
I'm glad the culture you experienced was healthier than the one I experienced. Yeah, like I didn't, but I definitely can see where that culture exists. Yeah. I think it definitely changed over time. Good. I'm very happy about that. Yeah, no, <laughs> I no, and it, of course. It was, but now, like, even at our church, like, you do what you want to do. Right. Like, obviously, minister to everyone, but you don't have to be a pastor to do right. that. I, I, I have definitely tried to give as much sacredness to all of the other options you know, for work as we give to, because that's the reality. Whatever you are doing, you're supposed to be doing it as unto Christ, regardless. And yes, we do minister to every person that we encounter because we are a kingdom of priests. That's the Bible calls us. But for me, there was this implicit, like, pressure that if you were really a good Christian, you were going to end up in ministry. And people would, you know, celebrate that kind of thing. I'm glad if that's no longer the case, but that's definitely what I experienced as a, as a kid. Um, and it took me a while. I had to walk through a process because I left. I felt called to ministry when I was 18 years old. That's when up until then I had not. Uh, um, in fact, I had, I had really said, I am not going that way with my life. I don't want to do that with my life. I want to do other things. And, and then I had an encounter with the Lord, which uh, messed everything up. <laughs> Set me on this path. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Although every once in a while I look at like, you know, people that make a whole lot more money than me and don't have to work every weekend and et cetera. Don't have to work, you know, and do some of the very difficult things that pastors have to do. You know, they don't have to sit with dying people. Um, or have hard, hard spiritual conversations with people that don't want to listen. It's very hard, and, and it takes a toll. I'll tell you that right now. Because um, there's really fun parts about being a minister, but there's really, really hard parts too. Are you asking a question or just resting your arm? Yeah. Um, about like leadership, I guess, and being called to leadership. I was prepping for my message that I'm giving at Tribe next week, which is mm -hmm. about calling and yeah. receiving your call and like living it out and all this stuff. Um, and John Bevere said something really good about that. Like he said, there are people, it's about like missing out on your call. Mm -hmm. In the curriculum that we're using, he said, there are people who are electricians that should be in full-time ministry. Yeah. But there's also people in full-time ministry that should be electricians. That's very true. Like there's so many people that falsely step into a call. And when we think about that, there's this cultural perception that missing out on your call means that you should be in full-time ministry and you're not. Right. But he was just explaining that it absolutely works the other way. Like missing out on your call could also mean that you 
were falsely led into stepping in full-time ministry when that's not what God equipped you for. Mm-hmm. And I never, like, that perspective was really important because if somebody said to me, oh, you're going to miss your call, or they're missing their call, I'd be like, oh, they're not stepping into ministry, and they yeah. should be. That's just initially what I think mm-hmm. of, even knowing that not everyone is called to be a leader. Yeah. And so it was a really good perspective. Like, it's just hard. It's, it's hard because See, like, leadership is obviously a good thing, but there's a lot of other good things that God calls people to that right. is, yeah, you can miss it on both sides of the spectrum. You and can. I thought John Bevere explained it really well. That, what you're just, what you're naming right there is what I was talking about earlier. Yeah, like, that's exactly what The I'm idea saying. that if God's called you, he's called you to ministry. Mm-hmm. Not, God has called all of you, but to what? But I would be careful with that too. Okay? Because I think what God has called you to do is to be formed in the image of Christ into the the fullness of who he created you to be. I don't uh when we use the the terminology of calling, I think it implies that God has like a map of your life the places you go, the people you'll be, the whatever, uh, in his head, and he's watching you either stay on the map or get off the map. Uh, oh, well they're, well, they're off the map. I'm going to have to get them back on the map. And, and I don't think that's the case at all. I think what God's calling for you is, is to step into being formed into the image of Christ. And as that happens, you begin to discover who you are the things that God has equipped you to do, the things that you find joy in doing, the ways in which you most maximally glorify God yeah. by how who you are. And in being released into doing those things, we have answered our call. But it's not necessarily that God's like, no, you were supposed to be a, an electrician in Toledo, and here you are doing this other right. thing. I don't think there's a supposed to be. Like your calling isn't necessarily a job. It's right. just Your calling is you. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's good. Might, might have to work that over. Your calling is to <laughs> bear the image of Christ in the way that only you can. I had a, a visionary experience. I, I always have trouble naming these things because I don't know. It doesn't feel like the same thing that people in the Bible experienced or whatever. But... I was in worship one time and I was taken into this, to a room, and this huge room, I mean it was massive beyond belief, and there was thousands of people and they were all worshiping. There was no band, there was no stage, it was just this huge room, but the floor of this room was different colors. And the people that were standing on the red floor were dressed in red clothing. The people standing on the blue floor were dressed in blue clothing, etc. And under this floor was, there was, the floor was like made of, it was translucent, you know? And there was light that was moving around under the floor and shining through the different parts of the floor at different times and when it would shine through the blue part blue light would fill the room and it would 
make everyone have a little bit of blue light upon them, even though they were wearing a different color. Does that make sense? And then it would go over to the green or over to the whatever, and there was all these different things. And uh, I began to understand as I saw this that what we were, what this was, was kind of a map of the attributes of God. Um, and we were, that each, uh, each person in the room was, resonated more with one attribute of God than another. Some people are, are, are very gracious. They resonate much with God's grace. Some people are very, uh, they, they resonate with God's wisdom. Some people resonate with, you know, with uh, God's generosity. Some people, right? And so the, 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 the floor you were standing on and the clothing you wore was the thing you resonated with most. But as we were worshiping the Lord, he was, he was giving revelation of different aspects of his character and nature. And we were rejoicing in each one, even though we kind of had a home base, you know. Later on in the thing, that, that, that light, which um, came up through the floor and we were all just drawn into it. Um, and uh, and so we were just having kind of an experience of raw God and not one specific attribute. And it was kind of a fascinating thing. But the idea that I got was, you know what, I, I'm, I have been, I have been formed to reflect certain aspects of God's glory, to image certain aspects of who God is into the world. And I'd, I will do a better job of that than, some, than, than someone else. But they're going to be imaging God in a different way than I would. And by seeing you imaging God the way you image God, I will see God in a different way than if I was just experiencing God through my own lens, my own understanding. Does that make sense? And I think that the true calling is a calling into Christ and a calling that enables us to be the, the we, we, reflect, we reflect God's glory in a way that no other imager can reflect God's glory. <coughs> and in doing so, we are, we are blessing the world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Is everybody okay this morning? You all seem a little distracted, tired. Why would you stay up until two? Well, I wanted to make sure I had it down. Well, I'm glad you were studying the scriptures and not just like binging Seinfeld or something. But it's time. Maybe. It's on Netflix right now. <laughs> You'll never understand Gen Xers like me until. You binge Seinfeld. And Friends. You binge Friends also. <laughs> it was a sitcom based around, I mean, the star of the show was Jerry Seinfeld, who is a... A situation comedy, a television show that is funny. Situation. You didn't know that's what it meant? No. I knew it was Like Friends. Like... 
There's like The Office. Those are all sitcoms. You don't know if because there's they're very different from each other. There's one out there waiting for you that's your sitcom. <laughs> ah, Seinfeld is hysterical. No, it's boring. In what way is it boring? I don't know what's wrong with you. Worse than that episode because it's like a mockumentary. Uh, me and a few people yes. were making a mockumentary, and we called qualified. I love mockumentaries. Have you ever seen any of Christopher Guest's mockumentaries, like Best in Show or This Is Final Tap? Or oh, well, they really invented the idea of a mockumentary. Anyway. Yeah, staying up till two is not a great idea. Um, I'm talking about Friday up all night to study for a test on Saturday, and I just didn't need to. Because it was the easiest test I've ever taken in my life. Bummer. And then I went home and took a nap for six hours. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> and then I went to bed after my nap. Okay, so it's a good thing to want to be a leader if God's called us to be leaders. Now let's talk about these. Let's walk through these uh, these qualifications. Uh, we'll start with these. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. First of all, what's an overseer? I think the Greek is like episkopos. What is an overseer? What what would our word what would our word for overseer? Because we don't have an over we don't have church overseers anymore. What? Like a boss? Sure. But this is this is an office in the church at Ephesus. It's a specific and it relates to a, a title that we still use. In fact, I think it's better than the title we use, but... Like deacon. No, deacons elder. are later. We're going to talk about deacons in, a, deacons in a minute, and it's not an elder. Elder and deacon are basically the same thing in this passage. Pastor. pastor. Oh. Yep. The, <clears throat> the way that we use the word pastor, pastor, uh, the, the word that's translated pastor in the New Testament is a very specific spiritual office, spiritual gift, and it has to do with people that are shepherds. That's the uh, that's the word, that's the word pastor. That's what we do when we read the the word pastor in the in the list of the fivefold office gifts in Ephesians chapter four. It is apest. Does anybody know what they are? A p e s t. What are the fivefold ministry gifts? Anybody? The um, five fingers of the fist of Jesus. <laughs> Ready? Um, nope, not administration. Um, shepherding. That's one of them. Shepherd. That's the S. Okay, what is it? A- <clears throat> I guess that would be this. Pastor. A P E S T. Pastor is not one of them. Shepherd Prayer. and pastor are the same thing. Prophecy. 
Profit. That's another one. Wait, how do you spell the word? A P E S T. Evangelist. Evangelist. Very good. That's three. Teacher. What are we missing? And it's not a it's not a surprise that we're missing it at all because we have no. What's that? A. Um. Ready. Apostle. Oh. I heard it. Yep. Apostle. Shepherd. Apostle. Apostle. She said apostle and I thought she said apopsicle. <laughs> well, some of them are a little cold. Uh, but no, okay, so apostle. And the reason you couldn't think of it is because how many of you know, a po- know an apostle? Anybody? I'm not talking, I mean, actually, in person. Did you actually know an apostle in person? How many of you? You probably do. You probably do. The the closest we have to apostle in our kind of world would be maybe Don Gifford. Ooh, wait, what's an apostle? A follower of Christ? An apostle is well, apostle just means sent one, but apostle in the New Testament church was usually kind of a general of the church. They were a church planter. They held authority over other pastors. Don Gifford is a pretty good example, or Doug Clay, these leaders of the denomination. There's a very specific uh, gifting, and we can, we can talk about the fivefold ministry gifts some other time if you want. But this word, overseer, is really the way we use the word pastor. It's about the same thing. That means the leader of a leader in the church, not the leader of the church, but a leader in the church. And a person who has been given authority over ministries in the church. So people like, you know, not necessarily Pastor Rob, but the other pastors that are on staff. Pastor Rob, we might call a bishop. Bishop Rob. Bishop, bishop, bishop. bishop Rob. Bishop. <laughs> go ahead, go up and tell, tell him I said... He needs to change his title to Bishop Rob. Right? Sounds really good. Because the kind of the leader of the leaders of the church would be really probably a bishop would be the best one of the best terms. Well, that word still exists in other in other forms of church. In ours, we really just have pastor. We don't have anything else. Which doesn't make sense biblically at all. Because I'm that's my title, is pastor. But I'm not really pastor. Now, I operate in the office of pastor on a regular basis because I take care of people, and that's what I do. I shepherd people. But my gift mix is more teacher-prophet than it is pastor, by far. I'm much better at teacher and prophet than I am at the pastoral stuff. The pastoral stuff is hard for me. It's exhausting for me. And in... My, my role when I was here on staff was much more prophet and teacher than it, was, than it was pastor. Because we had plenty of pastors around. Now I would say Pastor Rob is a pastor. He's a shepherd. That's the kind of guy he is. He is that in spades. And I love that about him. And my dad was that way too. Although my dad had a lot of apostolic stuff too that he was doing. But I would say Pastor Rob is a shepherd par excellence um, but uh, well that's true I do too though <laughs> he 
Yeah, I've been ordained, and and so I have one as well. Um, it's sitting next to my closet at home. Um, Can I have it? No, it has my name on it. I can engrave my name. Well, why don't you just go ahead and get ordained, and then you can get one yourself. Anyway, but I'm not actually, and that staff is a shepherd's staff. That's what that is. That's a shepherd's crook. That's why they give it to you because you're a pastor, you're a shepherd, and that's what they do. But the truth is, my gifting is really prophet teacher. I'm not really gifted in the pastoral arena very much. Now, I operate and I do the work of a pastor, just like Timothy is going to be told to do the work of an evangelist. I do the work of a pastor, but I'm not really a pastor. I'm really a prophet teacher more. Those are definitely much higher on my pastors. Usually the lowest one, if I take a five-fold ministry gifts test, pastor usually comes in last. Right after evangelist. It's usually prophet number one, teacher number two, sometimes those flip. Apostle number three, evangelist, and then pastor. That's usually how that So when people call me pastor, I'm, I always feel a little weird about that. Oh, they've got them out there. I could probably find it for you. I My favorite one was one that was done by, man, what's that guy's name? I can't remember his name. I, I'll I'll find it. I'll bring it in. Um, it's a, yeah, this is a good one, actually. It's very good. I don't like Enneagram tests. Okay, so Episcopus, Episcopus is the, means pastor. So this is a description of people that are going to be in the role that we would, that we would call pastor, that kind of a role, like a staff pastor, not a lead pastor necessarily, but a staff pastor. I think it would also apply to a lead pastor, but that's what this word means when he says overseer. Okay, so do you think it's fair that there's a higher standard, standard for leaders than for everybody else? Yes. Why? Because um, they're an example of other people and people are looking at them. Uh-huh. More than you would look at somebody who isn't a teacher or a leader. Because people Great. will follow your example. Right. Because they're being held up as an example, as a representative For others. Like if you teach them the wrong thing and show them the wrong way to live, then they're going to be accountable for what you taught them, so you're accountable for it. Yeah. It's a scary thing. Yeah. Especially because my theology has absolutely radically shifted over the over the last few years. And I I have been teaching classes, etc., since I was about seventeen years old. And I I my the way that I think about God's word, the stuff I know about God's word has radically changed. Now, I've never, I have always been a follower of Jesus, and that was the primary thing I've always taught, but still, my understanding of that has radically changed. And I think there's room for that. But we should, we should approach teaching and leadership with a bit of fear and trembling. Because we are gonna be held responsible for the things that we say especially things that we say that lead people astray. Once words go out of your mouth, you no longer control them. 
And people are going to hear you say things that you meant very well, but they're going to take them in complete other directions. And that is a scary, scary thing. I don't know how much of that we are held accountable for. I've had people say things that I have said things that I, there is no way I said anything close to that. Um, I had a, a woman who left our church and I spoke to her later and she said, I just can't understand why you don't support women in ministry. And I said, what? She said, yeah, well, you, you just don't support women in ministry. I said, what church were you at? Who do you think I am? What do you mean I don't support women in ministry? I get in trouble for how much I support women in ministry. Like people get mad at me for how much. Well, no, you don't. You never said that when I was there. I had. I, she thought I was this uh, chauvinistic jerk, and that I didn't think women should be ministry leaders, which is the absolute opposite of where I stand. But she took something I said, and that's what she got out of it. And that is a scary thing. Yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah. Aren't you excited? Yeah. yeah, so go out there and do ministry, everybody. <clears throat> yes, it's fair. Of course it's fair. Paul says they should be above reproach. What does that mean? What does it mean for a person to be above reproach? Another way to say this is blameless. Above sinning. Reproach is accusation from someone else that they would cast accusation, they would cast reproach upon the above reproach means that you are not of questionable character. My dad, when he was the first church he ever he ever um, pastored at, there was it wasn't a big town, and there was only a couple restaurants in town. And one of them was a bar, and this bar had amazing hamburgers. My dad loves hamburgers, and so he used to go there for lunch fairly often. And this rumor got started in the church that Pastor Ron goes to a bar every day. And so his pastor that was over him came to him and said, I need to understand why you go to this bar every day. And he said, have you had their burgers? And he was like, well, there's everybody saying that you drink and that you are going to the bar every day and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, what? And the pastor said, we are supposed to avoid even the appearance of evil. So you shouldn't go there anymore. And he didn't. No. Was that fair? No. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I, think it's fair. I do think it's fair. I want a Like, it sucks, but that's just It reality. does. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons that I do not drink alcohol at all. Yeah. Um, that is what the Assemblies of God requires of licensed and ordained ministers, by the way. They ask us to sign on the dotted line and say that we will not drink alcohol while we are during our tenure as Assembly of God ministers. I have had other pastors look at me and say, whatever, I mean, it's fine. And I'm like, 
No, it's not. Do I have anything against alcohol in general? No, I don't. I really don't. I have, you know, that it's not a problem. I don't think that alcohol in and of itself is an evil thing. I think it can, when not done in moderation, can cause great damage and destroy lives and people, absolutely. But I would say that about a thousand things. You could say that about food, you could say that about money, you can say that about sex, you could say that about a thousand things. So that doesn't mean that we are meant to completely avoid those things. But in this case, I do. Now partially, need to know that the Assemblies of God asks that of us because the Assemblies of God, prior to the, Pen prior to the Pentecostal outpouring, they were all Methodists. Yeah, or most of them. And Methodists are the ones who got the constitutional amendment added to the United States Constitution for abolition. They are the ones who did that, which we look back on and say it was a mistake. It was a mistake. I really believe that. But that's what they did. That is how they felt about alcohol. Alcohol to them was very, very bad. The demon rum. That's the way they talked about it. <clears throat> no, they really would like paint pictures like in the newspaper of like a demon like holding bottles and like that was it was a whole thing okay they were demonizing alcohol and it got to the point where there was enough cultural power around this idea that alcohol was the worst thing ever that they ended up abolishing alcohol just gone no alcohol in the united states of america oof all right, so, yeah, prohibition of alcohol didn't last very long, y'all. Did not. And whole crime syndicates were formed around getting people their alcohol. Um, but that's another conversation for another day. That's right. Yeah, speakeasies. Secret rooms where you would go and drink alcohol. That's right. Party! Yeah. Um, it was far more popular than any drug is today that is illegal, like way more. But that's because alcohol was a part of everyone's life almost every day, and then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, no more alcohol. It was just like somebody flipped a switch and said, we're not doing that anymore. You know, and you can't expect people to change that quickly, but whatever. That's why we don't legislate morality, my friends. It doesn't work. But in order to remain above reproach, I do not drink alcohol. Because I don't ever want anyone to be able to say that I was drunk or I was, you know, under the influence in that way. Uh, I do not drink at all. Now, some like this AG church that you're sitting in right now takes that even further and applies it to all the board members are required to not drink alcohol. There's certain, there is certain level of leadership within this church that has to, at least during their time as that level of leadership, say they will not, they will not drink. 
I don't do that at my church. In fact, I know for a fact that all of my, almost all my board members drink a little. Um, I was at a, we had a 4th of July party at my house. And there was quite a bit of alcohol there, but I didn't drink any of it. It was a little weird for me, I gotta say. Because I grew up in this environment where alcohol is very not, you know, not okay. And I'm surrounded by my board for my church. And most of them had an alcoholic beverage in their hand, which was a little bit weird for me. I looked at my wife and said, am I a bad pastor? She said, no, they're comfortable enough to be themselves around you. That's good. I said, okay, all right. Well, that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> but let's look at these other things before we're done. Because i got to leave at 12.15. <clears throat> all right. Above reproach. So blameless. They cannot be, uh, you know, uh, accused of anything. The husband of one wife. Once again, people have tried to use this particular verse to say that only men can be in, in leadership. The idea here is simply that no polygamy is going on. One wife at a time. <laughs> you may laugh, but it existed quite, quite often. Back in those days, uh, both in the Jewish world and in the Greek world, people had multiple wives. It exists today. Have you ever watched Escaping Oh, yes, it does exist today. Not nearly as much, but it does exist today. It was not illegal then. It's illegal now. It was not illegal then. And it happened quite often that people would have multiple wives. Um, and, uh, yeah, it also doesn't mean that someone who has had you know, who has had a wife and then that marriage ended either through death or divorce and now they're married again. It's not applied to that either. The idea here is we, are, we don't want anyone who is, has more than one wife. The other, the other reason, the reason he says husband of one wife is because while there were men that had multiple wives, there weren't wives that had multiple husbands. That didn't really happen. No, that was not a cultural thing. So he didn't have to say wife of only one husband because that didn't happen. It's just not, wasn't a thing in the culture. Whereas men would have multiple wives in, in their time. There weren't women that had multiple husbands. That just wasn't a common thing. So he didn't need to put a prohibition on that. It was okay. So if anybody tries to tell you that that means that only men can be pastors. Tell them they don't know what they're talking about. Sober-minded. The word sober just literally means not intoxicated. But I think we can go further than that and say this is somebody that needs, they need to be taking the job seriously. Paying attention to reality, not living in some kind of fantasy land or wandering around, oh, well, you know, no, they need to be taking this job seriously, okay? Another way, another word in a different translation just says vigilant. Paying attention, taking this seriously. Self-controlled. Self-controlled. To me, I feel like you could have just said that. Yeah. <clears throat> right, I mean, that fits, I mean, all this other stuff kind of fits in that category, wouldn't you say? 
self-controlled. Are you self-controlled when you're drunk? No. No. Are you self-controlled when you have habits in your life that are causing you to make decisions that you would not normally make? No. That means that people who have addictions need to be healed before they step into places of ministry. No matter what kind of addiction that may be, whether it's gambling, alcohol, or some other substance, pornography, doesn't matter what it is. If there is a life-controlling problem, they are not self-controlled, and they need to deal with that problem between them and the Lord before they step into a place of ministry and authority. That is a question... (laughs) When I was, when I first thought about getting uh, credentialed with the AG, which was before I was a pastor and whatever, I just thought, my dad had said, you know, there's some nice tax breaks for that, and you do enough ministry, you qualify. So I was like, okay, and I went and I got the, I downloaded the form, and I started filling it out, and the only lifestyle question at the time, this has changed, but the only lifestyle question that was on it at the time was, when was your last alcoholic beverage? And that just infuriated me. Like that's the only thing I That was the only thing they asked. They didn't ask if I read the Bible. They didn't ask if I loved Jesus. They didn't ask. <laughs> they asked me when I had been saved and when I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But they didn't ask me if I, if I was a pedophile. They didn't ask me any of that. None of that. They just asked me when my last alcoholic beverage was, and I was so mad I tore it up and threw it away. I was like, this is stupid. I am not going to be a part of this. And I didn't drink then, but it still was just like, I, uh, this is not okay. I'm not okay. I was mad. Now they've changed it, and now they talk specifically about any life-controlling problem, addiction, ha- habitual sin, etc. You have to talk about any of that. If you, you know... Which makes a whole lot more sense. What? I said, yeah, I actually murdered I am a serial killer, but that's really my only problem. Yeah, I mean, I haven't drank in years, but I did kill someone. I have a raging heroin addiction, but beyond that. <laughs> Self controlled. Respectable. Respectable. That's an interesting one. I'm respectable. What does that mean, respectable? Hmm. Worthy of respect. Sure. Want to go a little further than that, though? <laughs> um. Say it a little louder. Well, okay. They are respecting people, but are they respectable? There is, we need to understand that the Bible was written from a non-individualistic mindset. Okay, a communal, corporate mindset. Which means that what other people thought of you was important. I know we have this kind of like 
doesn't matter what other people think of me. I'm going to be myself. I can, you know, whatever. That's not what the Bible says. I really don't understand that phrase. I've heard people use it. It's a lie. Okay. I was thinking, like, I was actually thinking that, like, it doesn't matter what people think as far as, like, oh, I don't know if I should buy that shirt because so-and-so might not like it, like, in that sense. But people always get on me for being, like, no, I do care what people think about yeah. me. I'm like, well, you shouldn't. Well, in some capacities, I should. I should care that people think that I'm a kind person and that I... Like, I don't want people to think horrible things when they think of me. Right. I'm just stepping into, like, le- like especially since I feel called to leadership in a church. Like, what people think of me absolutely matters. You're supposed to be respectable. Yes. And that is only about what other people think about you. Yeah. When you are respectable, it, it means that other people are able to look upon you and have respect for you. And here's Paul saying, you can't be in leadership if you don't have that. He's not saying Jesus doesn't love you if you don't have it. He's not saying you're not a great follower of Jesus if you don't have it. But he is saying you can't lead people if you don't have it. And it's not about God's opinion of you, but other people's opinion of you actually matters. Because no one is going to follow someone that is not respectable, and nor should they. I'm not, I'm, I'm fighting very, very hard not to talk about it. the most recent president of the United States. Um, <clears throat> okay. <sighs> most recent. Not current. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying very, very hard not to talk about it. Okay. Next one. Hospitable. Yeah, you make people feel welcome. You're warm. Yeah. yeah, people are like, oh, what a warm yeah. aroma. You make people yeah. feel <laughs> at home. Isn't that a spiritual gift, hospitality? It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would it be important for a leader to be hospitable? Well, that word that you said. Respectability? The, no, 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 no. no. The, the like, uh, spiritual gift of Oh, yeah, a test. Yeah, a test. I literally can't remember that word. If this is a a leader in the church, why is it important for them to be hospitable? So that people come to your church? Right. (laughs) Yeah. If you're not very welcoming, why would anybody want to be around? I have seen so many pastors that have no problem with not being hospitable at all. Who are who get up and say horrible, horrifying things. And they're just like, that's just who I am. Look, you can follow me. You can lead, follow, or get out of the way. This is the way I'm leading. If you can't follow me, just get out of my way. I've seen pastors do that. With They're not hospitable at all. They just have other angry people that follow them. It's, oh my gosh, some of them have very large churches. It is really embarrassing. It's heartbreaking is what it, it is. is. Because, okay, well, for instance, all right, you know, we've got, there's the church in, oh, for, I don't even know where they're from, but they, they go to funerals of high-profile gay people and wave signs that say, God hates fags. Are you really serious? I'm dead serious. 
Westboro Baptist. Soldiers. Yes, yes, right. We had a soldier's funeral here at First Assembly a few years ago, and that uh, and a motorcycle gang showed up specifically to beat the crap out of Westboro Baptist, who had said they were coming. <laughs> Which I was like, I can't really be okay with that, but I am kind of okay with that, you know? Um, <laughs> Someone went to the hotel they were staying at and slashed all of their tires. Right. And the police said, oh, we can't find anyone. And I'll bet they were just like, see, we're suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. Wait, why did they do that to soldiers? Because the only reason that we're losing in this war is because the United States isn't taking a strong enough moral stance against things like abortion and homosexuality. I'm dead serious. No, it's not the soldier's fault, but we still do it. They still do it. Stephen Anderson says that they take it too far, but he takes it even farther than they do. I don't know Stephen Anderson, but that's where they're at. All right, we got to wrap it up because I got to go. Able to teach. That one kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Not a drunkard. We kind of talked about that already. Not violent, but gentle. Uh Uh-oh. And some of them are some of them are directly from the Sermon on the Mount as well. Blessed are the meek. Yeah, like some of them aren't like some of them are special, but some of them are just like character character traits of Jesus. Who knew character traits of Jesus and the Father? This they should look something like Jesus before we give them authority in the church. They ought to resemble Jesus a little bit, right? Does that make sense? You would think, but how many violent pastors do we have? And let me tell you this, guys. I love my denomination, and I love being a Pentecostal, but we are bad at this one. We are really bad at this one. Pentecostals enjoy violence far too much. And we have made, often made Jesus the chaplain of violence rather than the king of a peaceable kingdom. Often, 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 often. Notice how Jesus responds in the book of Revelation when it says, the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. What do they find? A slain lamb. Who is the one that overcomes the violent beast? It is the slain lamb. This is how we respond to violence. Not with violence, but with gentleness. It's tough, y'all. It's true. All right, my friends. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you.